0: For those of you who have lost money, like millions overnight. For those of you who are or have been in personal debt. For those of you who have been at rock bottom ready to give up. Get ready because it's going to get a whole lot worse. And that's a great thing. This is Below Zero to Hero, a brain dump by The Fail Coach, helping entrepreneurs develop a healthy relationship with failure. Look, failure can't be feared. It's the number one killer of creativity, ideas, dreams, and even entrepreneurs themselves. And it's thought will never get in your way again. With the right mindset, failure can be step one into a new journey of being a better leader, having better balance, better relationships, and most importantly, success. So bring it on. This is Below Zero to Hero with The Fail Coach.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to another brain dump by the fail coach. We're doing another interview today and I have Rene uh with me today uh, and you know Rene maybe the best thing is for you to introduce yourself to the audience a little bit. Uh welcome to the show and the floor is yours.
0: Hey hey guys, I'm Rene. I'm a 24-year-old entrepreneur. Um that specializes in digital marketing. Uh, With my digital marketing, I've been able to generate over $10 million in revenue. And uh, now I I travel the world and teach other aspiring entrepreneurs um, about digital marketing and entrepreneurship. Perfect,
1: nice and quick. Um, So where should we start? Uh, I think you're my first millennial entrepreneur. And (laughs) I, I think my audience I'm guessing, so if I'm not correct, my audience, please reach out to me. Tell me who you are. Uh, But I think they are mostly, let's say, 30-ish plus years old. So, you know, for us that we are a little bit older when somebody is just 20-something, we often say, well, what can that person teach us? You know, they, they, they don't have much of experience. So is that something that you encounter when you're reaching out to, or when you were reaching out to clients? Uh, do you have any struggles with that
0: being too young? Oh, well, absolutely. That's, that's going to be a normal problem you run into, uh, being a younger entrepreneur. And that's something I noticed right away. And I think what my biggest, what I tell a lot of these people that say that is social media was not around uh, when they were younger. Social media is a fairly fairly new to the landscape of business, but every successful business uses it. Good example: Facebook is one of the biggest companies in the world now, right? Google, YouTube, same thing. So social media has changed the landscape of entrepreneurship, and the people that understand it best are the youngest people, like myself, millennials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're the ones that can capitalize on it, and obviously make a living a good example another one is uh evan spiegel the creator of snapchat he at some point he was like the youngest billionaire in the world so social media is here to stay uh obviously it's going to change in in uh it's going to change over time but the concept of social media is going to be here and digital marketing is going to be here
1: perfect i mean i asked you this first before i will share something with you when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I was just 18 years old. And, you know, um I was asked the same question, you know, like but how can you do business when you're 18? Like who takes you seriously? Well, m- luckily for me at that time, all of my clients were 40, 50 plus years old and they were looking at me uh, almost like their son, you know, and they were like, Oh, my God, like, look at him. Um, He's so young. And so we need to support him, we need to help him. I actually struggled, I think, more, once I reached, you know, 26, 27. And, you know, you're not the 18 year old anymore i think that was the easiest time for me being an entrepreneur but i really just wanted because nowadays well maybe at that time it was you know like not a very common thing to see an 18 year old uh and being an entrepreneur and maybe that was my uh my blessing but you know in in, today on the social media we see a lot of Twenty-one, two, three, four, five-year-olds, and you know they're entrepreneurs and digital nomads and so on. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 older, you know, well, with gray hair. We kind of say like, well, what can they tell us? What can they teach us? But you gave a really good answer. Uh, you were born with iPad in, well, not with iPad, but at least with a phone in your head. Hand, uh, we we weren't.
0: No, absolutely. And it's one of those things where our understanding is just going to be better because we are naturally exposed to it. So it's it's not a matter of, oh, hey, we're smarter or anything like that. It's just we were born into it, and that's part of our lifestyle. And because it's part of our lifestyle, it's almost second nature to us to understand how social media works.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, I agree. Like when it comes to social media – Absolutely, you you have an upper hand uh, with how you understand it, how you know it. Now, how able are you to put yourself... So um, what I'm trying to ask, so let's say you are a digital uh, marketing expert. So I'm a business coach, 40-something years old. Most of my clients are... 30ish but more 40. Now, how can you put yourself in the shoes of, you know, my clients to really understand them so that you can create campaigns that will resonate with older people? Do you find that difficult?
0: No, actually. And and the beautiful part about digital marketing, it's it's low risk and it allows you it allows for experimentation. So it's not necessarily stepping into your client's mindset because it's not about what your client wants. It's about what the market wants. So if your client only wants, let's say they're a business coach and they only want to coach people that are 30 years old, 40 years old, but there's a huge appetite from a 20-year-old market, uh, they would be dumb to ignore the 20-year-old market that wants their business. Does that make sense? Well, so yeah. the beautiful part about yes and no.
1: I mean, you know, um, I'll, I'll give you my example. Let's let's do a little bit of back and forth uh, on on this. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give you my example. So I'm a business coach. I I I've went through hell and and through successes and through all of that. And in the past twenty three years, I started nine ten companies on my own, and plus I I helped over three and a half thousand other entrepreneurs. So I've worked with, you know, younger, older women, men, online, offline, retail, uh, services, uh, production. So I've been through quite, you know, a lot of different industries and everything. And it's not who I can help. I can help quite a lot of different people who are, you know, in the entrepreneurial world. But it's my preference I love working, for example, with mompreneurs. Don't ask me why, uh, but, but I, that, that's my preferred target audience because they have the most amazing why. Their kids, their family. And I'm a huge family person. I don't have kids. Um, I have to say that. But anybody who knows me, they will tell you that I'm the craziest mom when it comes to my dogs. Um so that in, in that way, you know, like I just wipe with them. So, you know, I, I'm I'm when if I'm doing marketing, I wanna target people who I prefer working with. Not not that I'm saying that there's anything wrong with millennials or with you know middle aged men or anything. It just you know um I have most to talk with and I enjoy working with mompreneurs uh um a lot. And so, you know, one thing is if I'm struggling and I want to capture different markets, one thing is if I have the freedom of choice and I choose specific market. And so I I get where you're coming from. So why would you leave all that money on the table? Uh, But if I would specifically ask you, you know, like I want to target my campaigns towards mompreneurs that are 30-ish plus year old. Um, how hard do you think would it be for you to put yourself in in those shoes, understand that target market, and create campaigns that are targeted toward that market?
0: Gotcha. So that makes a lot of sense, actually. When you explain it like that, I, I definitely understand. The beautiful part about it, with exactly what you said, is I wouldn't necessarily have to put myself in those shoes, per se. Because of the fact that we're working together. So let's say I was doing digital marketing for you, right? And your target was uh, mom mompreneurs. Because of the fact that you have experience with them, what we would do is we would hyper-segment these campaigns and tailor them specifically for mompreneurs. And the way we would do that is through a simple assessment through you. So uh, first thing I would ask you is, hey, from your experience working with these mompreneurs, what are their biggest pain points? And you would tell me, oh, you know, they they have a family. So they're having issues starting a business on the side or they don't have enough time or they're juggling a lot of different things. So you would create campaigns that are specific to those and then only target that demographic. So right off the bat, just thinking, going off of my example, I would target, I would launch a Facebook ad campaign, right? Uh, Targeting only women, 27 to 50, right? And then the actual ad for that, because if the pain point was time, you would say something along the lines of, oh, uh, how to start a business without investing too much time or how to start a business on the side while raising your kids. Something very specific that your target audience could relate to in this situation, moms. And from there, you'll get the best results. And because it's all specific to that target audience, they resonate with it the most.
1: That's a really, really good answer. Really good answer. Yes, I, I fully agree with you. You just have to, I, I should be at a level where I understand my market because, hey, I'm I'm working with that market. And basically, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of information from me and then you, with your understanding of how the algorithms work and, and, and all that mambo jumbo within the ads panel and so on, Uh, you would be able to put out an efficient marketing campaign targeting that audience. Really good. I like it. Well, uh, René, one thing that I really liked about you when we jumped on our pre-interview quick introductory call was how you talked about branding. Because I see online a lot of these younger digital marketing experts they are all about click funnels, click funnels, click funnels. You know, like one funnel to solve all your problem. Uh, all you have to do is create funnel, funnel, funnel. And I really loved that you understand the value, the long-term and sustainability that comes with solid branding. Because a funnel only works when you feed it. The moment you you, yep. you turn it off, it doesn't bring anything in. But branding mm-hmm. yields results for years after you've done it, and so yes. let's let's it's talk a... about branding a little bit. Like, what? How do you understand branding? What branding means to you? And how did you,
0: or how do you help your clients with branding? So the beautiful part about branding, because I completely agree with you, a lot of millennial entrepreneurs, um, or even older entrepreneurs. They, look, they focus on money, so they look for a high-converting funnel right away. What they don't do is they don't put themselves two, three years in the future and envision that, and they don't set themselves up for success in the future through branding. Um, so, I mean, branding is where your, your longevity is, ultimately. Branding is longevity. Branding is brand loyalty. I think the most beautiful example of branding is Apple. They've done an amazing job, uh, obviously, through Steve Jobs and a lot of their team there. But any product they released, regardless of what it is, is going to sell out or they can sell it for whatever price they want. If they would have released a shoe, they would have sold the shoe because of their branding. So branding is super important because it's it's getting brand loyalty. Obviously, people are dedicated to you and your brand. And on top of that, that's how your business is going to survive and scale because people with just creating funnels, they can maybe get to a a million, couple million. But if you want something that does eight, nine, 10 figures, you have to brand it so that people stick with you. Absolutely. How do you
1: like, okay, let's say, let's talk to our listeners, you know, and many of them are new entrepreneurs or early stage entrepreneurs. What are, you know, some of the steps or some of the techniques or, you know, like how could, you know, if I'm just starting out or let's say I'm like, you know, doing five figures uh, and mm-hmm. I want to start doing more branding, like what would you suggest to me? Uh, what, were, what would you suggest some of the steps are? Um, because, I you know, um, when we talk about branding, it's not just logo and colors. Uh, so how would you suggest that I start with the whole branding procedure?
0: So it's your relationship with your customers. That's all it is. And the the I think the reason why people don't focus on branding as much is because they don't see immediate return, which is true. You're not going to see if you spend $100 on a branding campaign just to simply get awareness out there. You may not see immediate returns on it. So people tend to avoid it. But there's something that happens inside a consumer's head when they see your product 10 times and they're like, oh, what is And they, they build this curiosity with it. So one thing is spend money on branding. Obviously, show the same person your product more than once, even if they've already bought it, show it to them again, because they're like, oh, they, they almost build a, you're building a relationship with your client or your customer. Uh, when they see it so much, it's almost like they're friend now, right? It's like when your friend calls you, you're going to answer the phone as opposed to a random number that calls you because you're familiar with it. So when you see familiarity and you build familiarity with your customer, they're more likely to stick with you or be loyal to you. Another, I guess, good branding technique is giving a lot of value for free. Um, with one of my businesses, what we do is we send a lot of products to Influencers or, or gym owners, because it's it's a fitness product. We send them a lot of free products because one, it causes them to have loyalty for us. They think in their head, oh, this is an amazing company. They just sent me this for free. They're more likely to recommend it to their friends. And there's something that happens when your peer recommends a product to you, as opposed to someone trying to sell you online through a funnel. It almost builds like this family, uh, this ecosystem within your consumer base. So those are two really good ways to get started on branding. And then I guess the third way and something I'm I'm really heavy on is make sure you have a good customer service team uh, because that's your direct connection to your consumer. As a business owner, it's 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 hard to get a pulse on your customer, but when you have a good customer service team that treats them right and gives them a good experience, they're more likely to come back to you second, third, fourth time. And it really, if as if people are talking good about you because of that, it's great for your brand image as well.
1: I absolutely agree with you. One of the first things when I work with bigger companies, and something that I see often is that they are so much focused on getting new leads, new prospects, new clients in, but they forget about past clients, existing clients. And One of the first things that I do, I make sure that they put much higher priority on customer satisfaction because that brings uh, more lifetime value from existing clients with much less uh, money involved because the hardest and, and the most expensive part is to get new people from awareness to trust. But these people already have trust and they will buy from you again and again and again or they will send you other people if you treat them uh nicely with respect and so on if you take care of them so i absolutely agree with you on that one um mm-hmm. yeah how else so okay those are three steps to start the whole branding campaign or or to maintain um how about the whole around message, the brand story, do you help people creating their brand story as well?
0: So I don't want to say I help them create their brand story because that I think that's kind of dishonest if you fabricate something, obviously. No, sorry. But, uh, I definitely… And I- then, you know,
1: help them because often we we… we think we know what we want to communicate, but we can't find the right words. And then maybe, you know, I meant more if you help them, if you guide them to clarify that brand story that's in them so that it can start being communicated on the outside.
0: Yes, 100%. So one of the biggest things I do whenever I have a client or a business that I'm working with, or even one of my businesses is I always ask why. So if you have a specific product, um, a good example, let's say someone has a water bottle, right? Or a specialized water that's like recyclable, this and that, it has a cause. I say, why did you start this company? Why did you start this business? And if they say, oh, for money, that's the wrong answer because if they're doing something for money, they're not doing it for the actual love of the product. Um, So you ask them, why did they start their business? And they tell you, and you say, okay, great. How does that help people? And then they explain it. And then you craft a story around it and you ask them questions about themselves and what they went through to start this process and all the hardship they went through. And you make it relatable to their consumer because I guarantee if you're going through some sort of issue, you're not the only one. There's other people that are going through it as well. And because of that, you can almost build relatability and start on the right foot with your consumer. Okay. Okay. I,
1: I like that. Well, René, you mentioned earlier that uh, very quickly in your entrepreneurial journey, you were able to generate over 10 million. Did you say 10 million? In, in mm-hmm. revenue. Uh, uh, what were those businesses in? Um, how, how did that look like? How many so, failures did you encounter along the way?
0: A lot. (laughs) So I guess, uh, all these businesses were, were e-commerce and digital marketing based. So originally I started doing digital marketing for other businesses, um, selling digital products, selling physical products, and I was generating some revenue for them. Uh, and the, and the way I scaled it is as opposed to doing it for other businesses, I started doing it for my own businesses. So, uh, originally I started there was an entrepreneur. I was doing digital marketing to sell his courses. Um, so digital products. And then that went into me, uh, creating like an Instagram growth service and then selling my own services, uh, which led to more digital, uh, e-commerce stuff. So there was a, I started working with a brand and, uh, we started generating revenue selling fitness products. And then eventually I got on Amazon and we were moving products on Amazon, um, left and right. And that was just assortment of stuff. So it was like basketballs, makeup, whatever, whatever that consumers, whatever consumers had, uh, a hunger for, that's what we would give them. So over, uh, cumulatively over the span of, I want to say the past three or four years, we've generated over like 10 million. And I guess, in the second part of your question, the failures that came with that, originally when i started doing this digital marketing stuff i flopped really really hard because i didn't know too much about it i thought it was as easy as posting something on social media but that's not the case you have to understand your consumer you have to understand your price points you have to understand your branding um and before i thought it was as simple as going on social media posting a few things and then saying hey buy my product and that wasn't it so uh, we flopped pretty hard in the beginning and it took us a while to figure out what consumers liked and what they're willing to pay for. And as soon as you find that pocket, you're able to replicate it over and over again. How, how did you
1: find what they like? What, what were your techniques to understanding a particular group of consumers?
0: So what you have to do is, uh, going back to what I said before, test your market. You cannot force feed someone. Uh, It's like the saying, "You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink." You can show a product to a consumer, but you can't make them buy it. And I think that's an issue a lot of entrepreneurs run into. They have this product and they love it personally, but the market doesn't love it, and the market will not lie to you. So when you have a product and you and you kind of show the message to someone or you market it to someone, and they don't buy it, you can change the marketing approach a couple of times and see if. You get any sales, or if it becomes profitable, or even break e- breaks even. Uh, but if it doesn't, you're 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 it's the wrong product. So you have to find something that uh, gets some sales or breaks even, because you know there's an appetite for it. And once you find an appetite for a product, that's when you really start driving in and, and refining your message, making it better, uh, because you know that there's an appetite for it. You just have to refine the market. Okay, but in that process
1: of refinement and um, you know polishing the whole thing, uh, do you at any point try to have conversations with potential buyers, or you just look at the numbers in the dashboard? You see what's working, what's not, and then based on I don't know, your experience or what you think would work. You start editing and adding and testing. So is your approach more data-driven, more technologically driven? Or is it more, um, I'll go out there, I'll mingle with people, I'll show them the product, I'll ask them, I'll get their feedback, and then I'll do stuff according to that feedback. So is it more data-driven or is it more human-driven?
0: So it's actually a combination of all of that. I'm happy you brought that up. It's actually a combination of all of that. Uh, Some tricks that I do, let's say I launch a product. I look at, obviously, the the numbers on the back end. So click-through rate, uh, conversion rate, um, I guess, purchase value, how much they spend on it, return rate, bounce rate. So there's numbers like that. I don't want to get too technical. There's numbers like that that tell you uh, if someone's interested in your product, and that's all data-driven. But another trick that you can do as well, uh, and I think it's really smart, and it goes back to what you were saying about being human-driven, is once because when someone purchases, they obviously put their email in, you send uh, surveys or feedback, and you ask them what you like about the product, what you didn't like about the product. Um, With Amazon specifically, it's a beautiful thing because they allow people to get reviews. So you sell a couple, you see how people review your product, and you use that to make adjustments. So you collect all the data from your consumer, you look at the data just from the numbers, and with both of those things, you can kind of pivot your approach and refine it and refine it and refine it until these numbers get better. Okay. Um, Have
1: you done a lot of um, research with uh, surveys in the past?
0: Uh, Can you elaborate on Um, that? What do you mean by research on surveys? I mean, have you, like,
1: you know, you say, okay, they buy something, you get their email, and then you can survey them. Uh, Did you like it? Did you not? Or they can leave a review. Do you have a lot of experience with Mm -hmm. with, uh, people leaving reviews or responding to surveys?
0: Um, Are they likely to do so? So with reviews, they are likely to, uh, especially on Amazon, People love leaving reviews because uh, think about it. People make a living from leaving, leaving reviews. We uh, ever since like Yelp started, right? People love reviewing food. There's like food critics. Uh, there's people that review products that they buy. So uh, as far as leaving reviews, people love to do it. Surveys, you're going to get a little bit less, but you will get more information from a survey than you will a review because if someone reviews it, they just tell you what they like or what they didn't like with well, the survey you can customize it and ask them questions like, oh, what would you improve? Or So it's more than how did you like the product? It's what would you improve? What did you like the most? What did you like the least? Would you buy it again? Would you recommend it to a friend? How did you hear about us? You can collect way more data in a survey. You're just going to get a little bit uh, less responses to those. Okay. Um, Now, let me
1: ask you one thing. So this is just purely for my past experience, and maybe things have changed, but... um, From my past experience, when you send surveys to people, uh, most of the time, what I've seen in the past was that you had either huge fans replying back and everything was a okay and perfect and awesome and all of that, or you had Mm -hmm. people who were hugely dissatisfied. But somehow that middle, which is the biggest number overall, because probably you have like you know 10% huge fans 10% people who are completely dissatisfied and then you have this 80% or 70 that's in the middle that's really your biggest client base out of those three and they weren't so likely to respond to surveys because they there wasn't something that had you know they didn't have the aha moment or the epiphany by using your product to praise it like it's, you know, sent from a God. And, you know, uh, when, when when you hate something, you know, you're very likely to fire up an email and, and tell somebody everything why you hate something. Uh, but my past experience was that that biggest, uh, biggest group of your consumers, the ones in the middle who were, you know, okay with it, but, you know, not... Um, um, super impressed or uh, not super dissatisfied that usually weren't weren't very open to filling out surveys
0: yeah no so that that is true uh so that's why i said you're going to get a little bit less of a response unless you have a really good product everyone loves but yeah that's that's almost unavoidable no matter what you're going to have a lot of people that don't respond to your surveys. Uh, the, like I said, the beautiful part about having a platform like Amazon is almost everyone leaves reviews or a ton of people leave reviews and it it gives you an idea of what's going on with the market. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, have you found any other third way how you could get to those people in the middle or were you just really relying either on surveys or the reviews on, on websites?
0: So it's tough to get to the people in the middle, uh, over the internet. I mean, there's obviously you can do what's a good example. Some stuff we have done or dabbled with a little bit are trade shows, uh, specific to your product. So let's say it's a fitness product, you go to like a fitness convention or a fitness expo and talk to people live and get live feedback, but you're, you're not targeting, you're not opening to a million people like you are on the internet. You're opening to, The I don't know 10,000 people that are there at the convention. Other than that, I don't know anything specific to target those middle ground. Yeah, but
1: this sounds interesting. I mean, if you look at it, you know, if you talk with 1,000 people, let's assume that you you and your team can talk to 1,000 people at that convention. um, Wouldn't that be a good enough representation? I mean, if you look at it, one time I looked it up online. I can't remember exact numbers, but I think when, you know, when you have presidential elections in the U.S., so the U.S. is what, 300 plus million people, so I guess 200 million or something are voters. Uh, and they they make surveys, uh, the phone surveys, talking to people on, I think, two or 3,000 people and if you look at it, they're quite close. I mean, sometimes they can be off by, you know, 2 or 3%, but, I mean, you know, talking to 2,000 people and then reflecting that over, like, 200 million people, that's pretty impressive. So, basically, if you would go to a convention and, and you were able to talk with 1,000 people, let's say, um, that could probably give you uh, enough data to really nail down what your consumers want, and perhaps with you know consumers that come to those shows, you get a lot of the middle ground people as well. What what what's your thought on that?
0: I mean, that's actually something I could try in my businesses now, to be honest, because I didn't necessarily know that statistic, but it's it's I'm open to experimenting with everything because I think that's how you win in business. You try as many things and you see what sticks or what works the best. So that's definitely, I like that approach. It's definitely something that I hadn't thought about. Uh, Cause I was thinking strictly big numbers, but you're right. Like a, a sample size of a thousand to 2000 uh, may give you sufficient data to, I guess, make the adjustments you need to improve yeah, because, your business. And,
1: you know, I mean, the thing is when you can talk with them in person, you can see their body language. You can see how they react with the body language when you show them a product or something like that. And, you know, maybe the words, because they don't want to hurt you, they will say, yes, it's, this looks like an interesting product, but their body language is maybe saying no. And, you know, if you're a good observer, if you know a little bit about human psychology, uh, you can get much more in-depth, big data then you can get just by sheer number crunching from uh, what you get online where you just get the numbers but you don't get feelings or you know, things like that which you can kind of catch if this is an in-person interview or even you know video interviews or whatever but where you can actually see the person on the other side and see, see the their body language
0: right I um,
1: you said one amazing thing just about a minute ago, and uh, uh probably not intentionally, but you said you have to try, fail, uh and then correct your mistakes, and that's the fastest way how you will get to the uh winning uh combination. Now, a lot yes. of people, I think fear of failure. No, I don't think I know. Fear of failure is the number one dream killer that stops people even before they start or it stops them in the growth or whatever stage they're in. If if the fear of failure kicks in, it stops you from growing, from expanding, from starting. Um, Were you always not afraid of failure or is this something that you learned through the trials and errors and now you are embracing to fail because you understand that the more you fail the quicker you will be you will get to the point of finding what does work
0: that's an amazing question actually i'm happy you asked that um i think everyone's afraid of failure in the beginning if someone says they're not i think They're lying because everyone is, that's human nature to be afraid of failing sometimes. But the beautiful part is when it happens one time and you realize, and this is just from my experience, when it happens one time and you realize, you think to yourself, oh, did this kill me? Did this ruin me? What's the worst thing that happened, right? Maybe I felt a little bad because I failed, but um, you think to yourself, hey, that's not that bad. So you go and you try again. And it happens again. You're like, oh, okay, same thing, not that bad. You go and you try again. Same thing, not that bad. And then you try a fourth time, and this time you don't fail. You succeed, and it's probably the sweetest thing ever because you know you earned it. <laughs> nice, um, really, really so, nice. <laughs> it's so, and and it's true. So uh, you have to look at the downside and the upside, right? Like, what is the downside of failing? What you get laughed at. You have to. Eat ramen noodles for a <laughs> month. You have to. You have to. You have to move back to your parents' house. Like, yeah, it's gonna be bad. It might hurt a little bit. But what's the upside? One, you live life on your terms. You uh, are completely happy with your life. You become a more motivated individual. You become a more respected individual, um, and you kind of have that intrinsic motivation because of your success. So when you look at the downsides and the upsides, I think failure is a necessary component. And uh, I don't think people are aware that, hey, if I fail, it's not that bad. But if I succeed, it's the best thing in the world. Very,
1: very, very good answer. Rene, I have to ask you this. So you are a millennial entrepreneur and you started your business, you said like three years ago, something like that. Um, So when Mm -hmm. when I started, Um, I started in very good economic wave, just like we are seeing right now, you know, like real estate is going up, shares are going up, every day is the new high on, you know, Nasdaq and so on. So the the economy in general right now is is really, really amazing. People are not afraid to spend money, are not afraid to, you know, put it on a credit card and, and so on. So, um and when I was at that stage I didn't realize that the whole economy is booming I just thought that I'm that great so I'm doing so good like I'm this amazing <laughs> entrepreneur unfortunately I wasn't um and I was really lacking in you know laying down the foundation in my business and the second thing was that I was flying high you know I was 20 something good cars Um, I had a BMW M5 at that time, um, you know, carts with unlimited Mm -hmm. spending, uh, traveling, hotels, Michelin, three-star restaurants, you know, you name it, uh, you know. And for a 20-something-year-old, you know, like that's pretty Kardashian type of life. Um, And I was (laughs) flying super high. And because of that, I wasn't able to see how my businesses don't really have the right foundation. Now, you seem like somebody who is more down to earth, even with all the successes that you had in the past. Um, how come? Like, you know, how come are you able to still be down to earth and, and see things for what they are and how they are and, and not, you know, like, I mean, dude, you know, you're 24 and you made 10, 10, 10 million in sales. <laughs> like who i mean i don't know how much that is mm-hmm. in profit, but you know if 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 you are doing things yeah. correctly, that should be twenty to twenty five percent um should be profit minus taxes, so let's say at least ten percent should be pure profit out of it that's one million i mean having one one million and mm-hmm. twenty at twenty four is a huge deal of money um, you know i mean many people are. <laughs> Uh, hoping that they can retire on that money. So, you know, that's pretty big. So how do you handle that? How do you handle, you know, staying grounded and not flying, you know, on cloud number nine and living the life and, you know, living it like there is no tomorrow and then boom, next year, huge crisis comes and you lose everything.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think... I think that part is it's a it's a mix of both because when you say that stuff like if you look at my Instagram, I do live kind of a crazy life. I have a crazy car i have a crazy i live in a crazy place, I spend a lot of money on traveling and food and kind of everything you were talking about, but at the same time um I also diversify so I choose to invest in myself first or in my business first before anything else. A good example of this if I had This is actually a real life example. I had, what, like 80 grand liquid at some point just to uh, spend. And I used it. I kind of coined it as my spending fund. Um, And instead of blowing 80 grand on a trip, I put 50 grand into inventory for one of my businesses. And then I spent 30 grand on this trip. And when you do stuff like that, it almost like hedges itself. Because let's say that 50 grand turns into 100 grand in sales. Right, and you make, I don't know, $30,000 profit, and I spent $30,000 profit, I'm almost at a break even with what I spend and what I, I guess, what I reinvest into my business. And then on top of that, diversifying. So a lot of my money comes from e-commerce and digital marketing, but I'm looking at a lot of real estate and I'm looking into purchasing real estate just so I don't have all my eggs in one basket. Um, So it is... I don't want to say that I'm super down to earth because I'm, I'm like you, I'm human. Obviously I spend my money on a lot of stupid things, but, uh, and and I'm 24. So stupid things always happen, but I also want to look into the future and, and save myself the, the trouble of having this crazy, crazy, uh, I guess trajectory, and then having that go all the way down. So I want to, I want to go to the top okay. and stay at the no, top I as wasn't long as possible. Like that.
1: I was like, I, probably every day, I was just living like, uh, you know, I'll put everything that I have on uh, red seventeen, and you know, uh, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> um, but tell me, is, is this something that comes from your upbringing? You know, maybe you were taught about this by your parents or you know, I don't know, how how do your other millennial friends who are also millennial entrepreneurs, because, you know, when you're a millennial entrepreneur, you hang around other millennial entrepreneurs, at least some of your friends probably are. um, Do all of them have that same Mm -hmm. outlook? And and do they all look at the things at at least a little bit grounded? uh, Or uh, are you more like a um, you know, unique in that regard when it comes to people you are surrounded with, but what would you say is the norm?
0: Oh, the norm for sure for young entrepreneurs is very stupid. I think they make a lot of money really not fast <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just being honest they make a lot of they make a lot of money really fast and they blow it on stupid stuff and i see and the I think the first step in not doing that is recognizing it because. When you recognize it, you can say, hey, this is what I don't want to do. This is an example of what not to do. And um, with me personally, I grew up with a single mom. We didn't really have much. So seeing kind of what I grew up with and what my mom kind of had to do made me realize, hey, I never want to go back there, right? And I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it, but it's not like my life now compared to back then, way better. (laughs) So when I see these kids that – that make a lot of money really fast and spend it on dumb things. Uh, you see kind of the, the path they're on and when you recognize it and you acknowledge it, that's the first step in preventing yourself from losing yeah, it. That's,
1: all. That's really solid, solid thinking. I mean, yeah. Um, is, is there anything you can recommend to entrepreneurs and millennial entrepreneurs, what they should be doing uh, to stay level, to stay grounded? Like, uh, do, do you recommend any books or any coachings or, you know, like anything? What, what comes to your mind first? Like, what would you recommend to your fellow millennial entrepreneurs so that they can both enjoy the life but still think about the future and, and not blow it all every single day?
0: So a couple of things. Uh, first big one is, is mentors. Definitely a big part of my life is because I have these mentor figures that have uh, became successful and stayed successful in my life. And when you ask them for advice or they give you advice, listen to it. A lot of kids are stubborn. And someone tells you, hey, you have 500 grand right now. Go. You can spend 100 of it, put the 400 into something. A lot of kids say, oh, no, I'm going to spend all of it because I'll make it back. And that's where they mess up. So one, mentors. Can you recommend find them, any mentors to them. that you really um, love? People I really love, I guess, uh, as far as people that I see online or people that I look look up to. Um, Ty Lopez, Gary V, Grant Cardone. I feel like they're staples in uh, personal development, but they also teach you a lot. And they give you a lot of free value. So those guys are pretty amazing. And uh, the second part of that, what I was going to say is surround yourself with the right individuals. Once you start making money, don't think that you know everything because you don't. I'm sure there's things that you can teach me that I wouldn't know and that you would only know from experience or or being there or like age, wisdom. So, But surround yourself with the right people. First thing I did when I started making money, I hired a lawyer hired accountants hired a financial advisor that way i know exactly where all my stuff is and it doesn't necessarily limit my freedom i'm still allowed to do what i want but they're there to tell me hey this is going to help you keep your money or hey this is going to kind of help you maintain where you're at and uh be smart about it it's almost life is almost like a game of chess so be smart make your moves accordingly and be very calculated what you do
1: experts to surround yourself with because i mean you can fuck it up there as well i mean we i mean we've heard a lot of stories of <laughs> you know famous people um, i don't know musicians actors athletes mm-hmm. who you know they were like grinding and really working hard but because they chose the ro- the wrong accountant and and manager that person uh, embezzled money from them and they ended up, you know, having nothing to through I mean, we could say through no fault of their own. Well, I mean, the reality is they chose that person, so they, they they they're still the ones to be blamed. Uh but how do you you know do your due diligence on people that you surround yourself with?
0: So uh there's there's two ways that I always recommend to do this. One is obviously Look for recommendations from people that you found that are already successful, so let's say uh, I know someone that's made a hundred million dollars over the the course of their lifetime or has a net worth of a hundred million dollars. I would ask them who the recommendation is because if they've been able to sustain it, they probably use the right people. If you don't have that, um, I would use a system of checks and balances so let's say as opposed to getting one accountant, I get two accountants that are working independently of each other and then what i do is when they give me my financial summary or my my reports i look at them and make sure they're the same and if i see discrepancies in one of them i know someone's wrong or someone's doing something but if if they're relatively close then i'm using a system of checks and balances to know that hey these guys are doing it correctly wow. i mean
1: i'm I'm super surprised at, at the level of your maturity i i have to say it i mean i mean if like, you know, Thank you. I was far from there. I was so far from that. I mean, oh the, the the shit I did in in, in my twenties. I mean I, I you know, I, I can't I'm not sorry, you know. I mean, I've tried all of that, so you know, now I know better. Uh but I had to learn it the the, the hard way. But I'm really I'm so impressed with the level of, you know, your maturity and you know, the groundness and, and all of that. And I mean, of course, if you make a million bucks, of course, go blow 50 bucks on a vacation. I mean, you're still left with the 950. And if you do the the right few things with those, <laughs> they will make up that 50K very easily in, in very short amount of time. So, you know, um, like I think like 10% of, of your profit um, should be your, I don't know, play, go fun, have fun. I mean, at least when you're in twenties, I mean, you know, um, that, that's the time to explore right. the, And you know, you use it on experiences and those experiences uh, fast, uh, make it even faster for you to mature because the more you travel, the more cultures you meet, the more differences you see, um, you see op- more opportunities because you, know, you go to, I don't know, Asia and you see certain opportunities uh, and you bring maybe a new business model to Asia that's now currently just in the US, but you see, oh, they could use the same thing and you can make even bigger things. So traveling, learning mm-hmm. about new cultures and languages and so on, I mean, that's an investment almost. I mean, yes, of course, if you go for some crazy... Um, hotels and, and so on. But you know, you're 20 something. You, you know, you should enjoy life. When will you, if not now? Um, exactly. Rene, I 100% agree. Um, we are getting close to the end of this episode. And, and I have to say, I had a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, do me a favor, tell us a little bit about Rene.
0: So Renee is, is, and I tell everyone this, I'm just a regular 24-year-old kid. Um, I just happen to make the right decisions at the right time. But what I did, I feel is possible for everyone. So that's why I preach my message so much on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. uh, And it's kind of gained some traction. And I feel like the reason it's gained some traction is because a lot of people have been in my my footsteps or, or felt the same emotions that I felt along the journey. Uh, Especially with me, I'm I'm a college dropout, and entrepreneurship was the one thing that saved my life. Without it, I don't know where I would be. And I think a lot of the youth is in the same position. So when they see my journey and they relate to it, um, it kind of inspires them. And I guess that's my my big goal or my big mission is just to inspire people and really make the world a better place. I know it's cliche, but it's just true, and I feel it deep in my heart. I mean, yes, it it does sound
1: like a cliche, but the thing is, when you are free from, you know, that worry of going month to month, you don't have to make gazillions, but, you know, just being well off, often the life stops revolving about yourself and, you know, you need some bigger challenge. And usually that bigger challenge or the bigger mission is to do something for more than just yourself, for the, for the world, for, you know, or your community or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I do believe you that you really, uh, you really sound sincere when you say that. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very surprised and, and pleasantly surprised about the level of your maturity and, and, and how grounded you are and so on and like i said of course you're 24 you have to have fun um, so uh, renee before we say goodbye just a quick question your last golden nugget of
0: wisdom think big i think when you think big that's when you make the big changes when you think small uh so you make small changes when you think big, anything is possible. And I think everything great that's happened in the world has come from thinking big. So that's my last lovely. golden nugget for lovely. Just everyone tell that's me listening. now
1: one thing. I mean, we will include the links that you gave us for people to follow you, to get in touch with you and so on. So all of that, guys, uh, that you are listening, uh, all of the links are in the show notes. But um, still, uh, what's the best way to reach you and who should reach out to you? Who are you looking for? Uh, you know, to help the most.
0: Uh, anyone that's interested in entrepreneurship, you guys can check me out. Instagram.com slash Twitter.com slash uh, dot YouTube.com slash It's pretty easy. So um, I'm easy to find. You can just Google Rene Lacod. I have like the top, I have the first five pages of Google. <laughs> so um,
1: Yeah, and I look Perfect. forward to talking with you Rene. guys. It's been a pleasure. I really had so much fun uh, uh, doing this episode with you. I wasn't expecting it to be so much fun, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I I really have even more respect. I mean, even when we had our meet and greet, um, you know, I I, I really liked you. uh, But Mm -hmm. now I I really, really have much more respect. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that we did this interview Uh, guys this is our third try the technology wasn't our friend for the first two times so uh, uh, the third one is the (laughs) lucky charm I guess Uh, and I'm really happy that we didn't give up uh, uh, on our first two tries and that we did this and I'm really looking forward for my audience to hear this episode to get to know you better and to just hear like you know how wisdomless you are for, for your young age. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I thank you and I appreciate you for coming on the show. I appreciate you for also everything that you do, everything that you wanna do. And you know, I'll be um looking forward to see how your journey goes. So
0: yeah, take I care appreciate and it, thank all you the so best much. on your journey. Take care.